Cool. So we've now had a few sessions of sitting, um, sessions of walking. And yeah, now's a good point just to check up on your own practice, what you feel like is going on. If you have any obstacles that you're facing or any doubts or anything that's not clear or something that you're stuck at and you don't know how to move past. So I'm here to answer questions. We could either go around in a circle, or if anyone just has a, already knows right off the bat a burning question they have, you can just shoot your hand up and we could start there. Okay. So toward the end here, my legs got all jittery. Uh-huh. So I felt like I had enough of this. And um, so I, I kind of didn't know what to do, so I finally just took off the blankets and took off my socks and wiggled around a little bit. And, um, yeah, so I figured that must happen a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, just weather it, I assume. Did it go away? It, no, I, I think I still sort of have it now. So, I would say that this depends on what you want your practice to be with it. Um, so I have had times where I have felt pain or different things in my legs as I sat. And as a practice, I said, I want to practice discipline and I want to practice forbearance. And I'm going to practice changing my relationship to discomfort. And I'll sit through it, or I'll send my mind into it and try to feel it in a new way that's not creating so much aversion inside of me. And then there's other times where my practice, it's more just to be able to relax and sink in, in which case I'll shift my position, I'll shift the way that I'm sitting. Um, you guys can also shift into a chair if you want, which then doesn't do anything to the legs. So, you know, there's no right or wrong way. It just kind of is, what is it that, how do I want to practice with this right now, I guess would be it. And also knowing that there's many different sitting positions. You know, if we, um, a really easy one is when we sit kind of on our, on our knees, I guess you could say. They have your knees on the ground, the cushion under you. This is, I would say, one of the most low impact positions you could use. And then there's, um, this is called open lotus, so it's one foot in front of the other. And this position's interesting because sometimes if you have pain in a leg, you can just kind of flip it behind and you're still sitting in a nice kind of triangular shape. Um, so there's also different kinds of positions and they have different impacts in different places. So the sitting position, it's always something for you individually to play around with and see what works for you when. Um, you know, I've done a, I did one of those Vipassana retreats where you're sitting for 10 days, 10 hours a day. And, um, you know, on day three, you know, my legs started hurting and I kind of tried going through it. And then by day four, I said, okay, I can't take it anymore. So I'm just going to keep adjusting. And then I was just adjusting, adjusting, adjusting. And I kind of got to this point where nothing I did would feel comfortable. There was no comfort possible. And somehow, because I got to that point where I realized there is nothing I can do, I had to just surrender to it. And, um, 
and I found kind of the most comfortable of the uncomfortable positions. But yeah, I let go of of thinking that I needed to be totally comfort comfortable and actually then my mind dropped in and became very peaceful. And actually since that moment until now, and that was a couple years ago, I've never really had any problem sitting because something just accepted now this feeling that, yeah, there will be discomfort, but not fighting it or thinking there's something wrong with it, just kind of absorbing it into the experience. Um, so that's one of those things that, that that's your journey then with that to see kind of how to move forward. question a little bit. Sometimes um, when I'm sitting, um, particularly longer periods, um, instead of having coherent thoughts, I just kind of have images, incoherent snippets, very dreamlike. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think, well, maybe I'm just nodding off, but it really doesn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. uh, I still feel pretty awake and not asleep, mm. not nodding into sleep. But the reason why it's notable is that it's a lot harder for me to recognize what's happening and to get myself back than it is when I'm just having the world, the whirlwind of more coherent thoughts. Mm. Anything, is there anything going on that is um, about that that I should, that you can reflect on? <clears throat> so what I'm hearing is that you're dropping into subtler states of mind, right? So it's not just the basic kind of thoughts and surface level things that you've sunk in even deeper. And now you're recognizing even on the deeper levels, there's more of this almost like raw mental information coming through that there's still pieces of thoughts and feelings and sounds. And so you're just dropping down into a deeper, more subtle state of mind but it's still busy down there as well. So it's kind of the same way that you treat the top stuff, you treat the bottom stuff. You, um, you kind of just sink into it, you soften, um, you breathe, you keep just the gentle adjustments of just letting go, breathing, feeling um, you know, connected and at peace with this moment. And every now and then when you're in that state, you'll just kind of boom, it'll just drop off into the, the peace and the silence. And for you to really become familiar with that state, I almost feel like you want to become more familiar to navigate it, to recognize when it's happening. You just have to meditate more because to get to that state, it's great, but now it's like level two, right? Now level two, you still have to understand that new terrain and how to kind of now then take that to level three, right? Then to take that to the next level. Um, so, yeah, it's really all the same. I, just as a general kind of thing or general rule, um, don't focus on what you don't want. Focus on what you want. So if you want um, a peaceful mind and there's thoughts in your mind, find a place of peacefulness or spaciousness or centeredness to focus on and let all that other stuff run around but keep your focus where you want your mind to go and eventually it'll start to come into resonance with that spot if we have thoughts if we have movement 
and we're focusing on that, that's what we're going to get more of. So it's really important to, it's not fake it till you make it exactly, but it's kind of, um, you know, when I led the guided meditation at the beginning and I had us feel the space of the room around us, that's a tool that I use very often is that instead of listening to my thoughts, I just perceive the space around me. And that usually lets my mind already drop in pretty quickly to just feeling my breath and then feeling the space. That's kind of where I want to go. I want to go towards spaciousness, towards peace. Um, And there's thoughts that kind of come and go. And of course, the mind gets wrapped up in them. But then the mind recognizes that and drops them. And every time those thoughts pass away, I'm just still in that space. So that then slowly starts to create, um, I'm creating new karma, it creates like a critical mass, that eventually that space starts to take over, that there's more space than there are thoughts, right? That it flips, that now the spaciousness is the dominant kind of thing going on in my mind. I think the waters are overflowing. Yeah. Is there any significance to the colors you see when you're meditating? Um, Is there any significance to colors that you see while meditating? I would say there could be if you, you know, are familiar with the chakra system, for instance. It could be things like that, um, that colors could coincide with different active chakras. Um, But it could also just be kind of, yeah, light or visual information that's just kind of opening up and passing. For this meditation, I would say don't pay any attention to it, even just let it go. Um, not important. More things that just busy and confuse the mind. And as the meditations get deeper and deeper, and as they get more subtle perceptions, um, I've been meditating and all sorts of crazy, crazy, crazy things have happened. And at the end of the day, it always makes the, more sen- the most sense just to, just to let it go. So like, okay, like, seeing that now or feeling that now or perceiving that but realizing that's not the point of what I'm doing the point of what I'm doing is try to ground the mind and stop it when I meditate to guided meditations I can I can feel myself in the moment and I can listen to what's going on but when I just do my own meditation without being guided, I find I have so many more thoughts that I have to keep coming back to you know, peacefulness, I guess you would say. Mm. But is that considered meditating if I'm just listening to a guided meditation and doing what the guide tells me to do? or? Yes. It's easier to ride a bicycle with training wheels. And if you want to learn to ride a bicycle without training wheels, then that's the choice that you'll make. And it's difficult and you'll fall off, and things like this. But then you'll eventually learn how to ride. And there's things you can do with a normal bicycle that you can't do with a bike with training wheels. So. I think that guided meditations are a great starting point and they start to get you familiar with the way into yourself. They start to get you familiar with those states of mind. 
but eventually to start being able to work on that stuff yourself and get yourself there, you also gain a lot more wisdom and understanding because you have to start being able to recognize your own states of mind. You're starting to recognize in the moment, oh, okay, I'm doing this again. Oh, this is going here. Oh. And you're starting to have to you know, really understand what's going on and work on it yourself and becoming a master of your own mind. Um, whereas when you do a guided meditation, it's more of like an immediate gratification, so to say. But maybe in your daily life, a difficult situation will arise. And because until now, someone's just guided you into peace, you don't know how to respond. Whereas if you've been working on your mind and that same situation responds, you go, oh, yeah, I know this feeling and I know the, the solution to that feeling. So it's a great thing to start, but it's also good to move past and it's supposed to be challenging and that's okay. Yeah. So if anybody wants tea, there's tea. Okay. Yeah. So I've been thinking about the 12-year-old girl who was able to just slip right into that state of enlightenment. Sure. And you mentioned that there were monks who have been kind of grinding at it for 50 years and hadn't gotten there yet. Yeah. Um, so do you think that everyone is able to get there with enough, I don't want to say work, but like with enough practice? Or do you think some people are just wired in a way that they will never get there? Um, that's a very dangerous question. <laughs> yeah. So, or rather, how about I rephrase? Are some people wired so that it's easier for them? Well, of course, of course. Um, we're all at different levels, and. It's also hard to judge. I think that um, although that girl slipped right into that state, maybe if I took her on a one-week retreat, she'd freak out. You know, I don't know. Whereas, you know, there was times, I mean, I meditated right every day in the monastery for an hour, for years, and I wasn't getting deeper, really. And then I met a teacher Achan Brahm and I had a talk with him and he kind of pointed out that I was trying too hard. He's like, well, why don't you just throw it out the window? He's like, then don't try, just relax. And he gave me the mantra, good enough, to just sit there and say it's good enough. Whatever's happening is good enough. Just stop trying to make anything different. It's good enough. And I tried that um, right after he suggested it and I had the deepest meditation of my life. And I also feel that I was able to drop in that deep because I put in all the groundwork, even though it didn't seem like I was getting anywhere. Um, it's kind of like, you know, sometimes someone to stop drinking, it has to get so bad that then they can decide to finally stop. Whereas if it, it never really gets that bad, sometimes they'll keep drinking for, you know, another 20 years or something. So it's, it's really hard to judge where I'm at now and where I'm going to be able to get to. Because sometimes the most hopeless cases actually get there quicker for whatever reason. Um, whereas people that seem like they're doing pretty good, they might never be able to get deep because they just stay at that same level of like pretty good. 
but it never gets great. So I would personally say that it is, of course, of course possible for everybody. And it has to do, A, with kind of the way that you're living your life and what you're doing and the kind of karma you're creating, right, that you're bringing then into the meditation. B, how skilled you are recognizing your own mind and what's going on. These are both the things to be developed, both skills to be developed. But also, what are we exactly talking about here? Are we talking about like that deep perfection of meditation state? Or are we just talking about meditation in general? Because if you are sitting on a nail, right? There's a nail sticking up and you're sitting on it, right? It hurts, okay? So ultimately, we want to be off that nail completely. But even if you could lift your butt up a little bit, even if you could ease a little bit of that pressure on that nail, you're still relieving a little bit of that suffering. You know, so I wouldn't tell you either you can get off completely or you just sit on that nail. No, I'd say like, get up as much as you can. Like ease as much of that pressure off. So just the act of meditating starts to ease the pressure. You start to learn just to be a little bit more peaceful, a little bit more relaxed. Even if you just get a drop of that peace or that relaxation or that patience in this lifetime, then that's okay. Then that's enough. You know, that's then what you were able to get. But at least that's a step in that right direction. At least you're getting a little bit of the benefit. The more that you can do it, the deeper it goes, the more benefit you'll be able to get. And that has to do with your own conditions, your own abilities, your, you know, your will or your desire to do it, so to say, but also your skillfulness. Because you could be really gung-ho and sit and then be a total nightmare, right? You have to slowly start to become skillful in the meditation, start to feel out how it works, um, which takes a combination of practice and also guidance, right? So... I would say also, specifically for you, just because you asked that question, um, that maybe the best thing you can do is give up. Because wanting to meditate and wanting it for it to like work, that is a very fine line. It's like a film of projecting something into the future on the present moment. It's a very fine film that you're sitting there meditating and you don't really see it, but you're trying to get to a future state in which you're peaceful. And on a, so in a very subtle way, you're rejecting the present moment, which is not meditation. Meditation is fully being in the present moment. So... Although desire and that willpower and that passion is what brings us into this room and puts us down on the seat and starts to get us in the right direction, actually, you have to let go of trying to meditate. You have to let go of trying to become peaceful or happy or make this work. Um, you have to actually let go of all of that stuff for it to actually work because all of that stuff, it's still discontentment with the present moment. It's still wanting this moment to be that thing out there, the goal, right? Versus letting the goal come into this moment. 
making, you know, happiness is not the goal, it's the path or whatever. <clears throat> and sometimes the best way to get there is to give up, is to really just say, you know what, like I said, good enough. Then this is it. Then I'm just going to sit here <clears throat> and be restless for the next hour and then go home. Fine. But sometimes accepting that allows the mind to just accept and drop in and relax, right? <clears throat> so you have to be a little, uh, forget what's that word again? Reverse psychology. <laughs> so I have a question about technique that yeah. maybe is a follow-on to that. I'm not sure. Sure. For doing the walking meditation, Yeah. I want to disregard the stream of thoughts, let that go wherever it goes and pay no attention to it and be, be focused on the experience of my own body right now. Mm. And in a way, walking meditation is, is better than sitting because there's some stuff going on with my body right now when I'm walking, and there's, so there's something to pay attention to. Yeah. So the technique question is, how slowly we went. I actually have trouble going that slow. Mm. Um, <coughs> I, I don't know if anybody else does or not. I couldn't tell. I wasn't watching <coughs> it. Uh, just maybe my age and, and the medical trouble I have with my feet. I have trouble keeping my balance when I'm walking that slow. Took really a lot of attention. Uh, I mean, is that would I do better to go a little faster? I feel like when we walk the two miles around our neighborhood, and we do that mindfully, and I'm doing a similar thing: disregard my thoughts here and just experience the moment, the sense of the morning, the feel of the day. It's uh, easier for me. Mm. It's the physical effort to maintain my balance. Is that a good thing? Should I go slower? So show of hands, who had a trouble walking slowly? Just so you know. Yeah. What was the question? Look the other way as you said it. How, how many other people had trouble walking slowly? Oh, okay. Also? So you're in, the, you're in the majority of the room. Okay. okay. So just that effort to focus on that is constructive. We, we're used to a certain pace of life, a certain pace of mind. So when we start to slow down, the mind almost trips on itself because it's still trying to go at that pace that's no longer applicable to what's happening. And you're going against the stream that you're used to, your karma. So when I first began walking meditation, I uh, would often actually trip kind of and fall over. When I had to walk very slowly, I would actually stumble because, yeah, my mind was going faster than my body. Um, but over time, my mind has learned to catch up, or so to say, catch down. Catch down. Yeah, it's a new word we just invented. Yeah. <laughs> catch down to sync up with where my body's at with this moment. If you would like, you can start walking at a faster pace, but as you progress, slowly going slower, going slower, going slower. 
until by the end you're going in a slower. So you can take the mind from already where it is and guide it into going slower if you'd like. Um, and if it's an actual painful medical or physical condition, please, please do whatever you need to for your specific case. Uh, you should never be having to hurt yourself or something. But the clumsiness of it is very normal, very normal. Also, did anybody notice a difference from when we were walking in a circle to when we walked down the stairs and outside? Yes. And it's harder for me to walk somewhere because there's intention, there's a goal. Okay. I wanted to go faster. Okay, so harder because there's a goal. Anybody else? Anything? It was easier for me. Easier? Yeah, I felt like I was really feeling the ground that I was walking on, right. which you don't normally pay attention to. Right. So it was a little bit like when we ate in silence also, right? That you're present with what you're doing yeah. more fully, right? Yeah. So when I walk outside, I find it much easier to walk slowly because even when I go outside normally, I just stand in the sun or I look at the leaves or I was looking at the river. So when you're in a closed room like this doing walking meditation it's really just you and your mind that's it and um, I prefer doing walking meditation outside because naturally I like being outside so my mind is already in a state where it feels pleasant it feels good it feels relaxed so again that's I'm already halfway there Right? It's already nice to be outside. And now just adding that little bit of effort just to kind of be present with my body as I walk, um, I feel that it, it gets really deep really fast versus in a room where I feel that I'm just spinning in my own world a little bit, so to say. Yeah, so another thing for yourself just to feel what you like, what pace feels good for you, if it feels good for you inside, outside, also noticing, right, how different it felt when we went somewhere versus just going in a circle. Um, because you can do like a walk in the forest, but as a walking meditation, you can actually leave the supermarket and walk towards your car in walking meditation. Walking meditation doesn't have, you don't have to be like a zombie, um, but it's more that you're just present with what you're doing. You're just present in the body. You're not jumping around. And... I had the same feeling coming down the stairs. It's like a much richer experience. I'm like feeling every step, the creaks. I'm really noticing all the little details and designs. And we went outside and I saw the little ants on the ground and the little pebbles. And then I saw the leaves above me and all these little beautiful details that when I was just walking in and out, I hadn't noticed. You know, so walking meditation outside, for me, I used to call them appreciations. That I wouldn't say I'm going to go on a walking meditation, I would say I'm going to go on an appreciation, is what I'd call it. Because I would feel like I would just go outside and I would just start appreciating everything. Because everything's just so beautiful and alive. 
and then the mind becomes really happy and present, right? So playing with the positive mental states. Yeah. Do you ever incorporate music when you are meditating? I do not. Um, when I, for the first two years in the monastery, I would wake up every day with a song in my head, always a different song. Um, and it took me two years of not listening to music for that karma that I had built up from listening to music all the time to go away. So I, music has great value for relaxation, um, for setting moods in certain ways. Specifically though for meditation, I don't use music. I feel like we have enough stimulation all the time already. And also when you're sitting in silence, your mind gets very loud, you know? And it's the same thing like the training wheels, right? It's that you're really getting full force. What is my mind like? What is my karma like? And it might be hard. It might be unpleasant. It might be unworkable seemingly. And I say, great. That means you're taking a good, honest look at what's going on, you know, and now see what you could do with that. Can I stay with something that's unpleasant for long enough that it turns pleasant? Yeah, can I, can I spend enough time with my hopeless, unworkable mind that it actually starts to open up to me, that I start to understand kind of how to navigate? Yeah, and that's hard. And again, we live in a culture that's very much about quick fixes, not having to feel pain, not having to feel discomfort. More and more and more we're moving. Our, our forbearance is atrophying. Our stick-to-itness is atrophying. Um, you know, we need to almost retrain ourselves to be with something that doesn't necessarily feel pleasant in the second, but for the bigger picture, um, this will really allow the mind to become more stable over a longer term because life is not pleasant, <laughs> always. Yeah, you raise your hand for a second. Yes, sir. Um, so, uh, there's a Buddhist temple around the corner from my house, huh. yeah. and uh, I really want to go there and try to join the community, but I'm, I'm somehow terrified that it's going to be the wrong time, we're going to do the wrong thing, or I don't know if you have any insight into etiquette on how to, it's a Lao community, um, Lao. from what little information is online, and you know, Sounds like the leadership there is is keen on on being inclusive of, of all ethnicities. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just didn't know your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, you should go in, take off your shoes, and throw it at the first monk you see. <laughs> <laughs> and if he doesn't get mad at you, then you know you can practice with him. Yeah. Um. So what's difficult, like to have a, like a Western, like in, a guy from Andover, right, um, that went and immersed themselves so deeply in these trainings and these cultures, um, it's rare. A lot of the centers, a lot of the places that you find, it's whether they're Thai monasteries or Lao, um, Chinese, Vietnamese, Tibetan, and those all carry a large cultural weight with them. They're cultural centers, almost, as much as they're places to practice, sometimes more so, right? Our monastery in Frankfurt, 
um, it was like Vietnamese New Year, and you know, so we'd have tens of thousands of Vietnamese coming and celebrating, and they'd have singers, and they'd be selling stuff, you know, completely nothing to do with Buddhism or a monastery. But it, it was their cultural center as well. And you'll get that a lot, that that's the touchstone for the community is the monastery. So, you know, the first thing I would say, it's very possible that if you go to a center, you're not going to find anybody there who's actually going to guide you. Uh, there might be a monk or someone there, and they might, oh, hi, thanks for coming. But it, it's not as we would expect them to say, come sit, let me show you how to meditate. You may not find that. Um, but that being said, the whole point of the monastery is to be an open place. And if you just go in and you smile and you say hello and just be straightforward, like, yeah, I'd love to see your program or learn how to meditate, they should just be welcoming. And if they're not, then why would you want to be there anyway kind of thing, right? So, yeah. But try to be, respect trying to be respectful, but also just communicate. Just say, like, oh, can I do this? Is this okay? Should I take off my shoes? Can I do... Like, just ask anything that you don't know, and then you won't do anything wrong. Yeah. yeah. We didn't really kick out anyone from our monastery unless they did something really bad. So. <laughs> yeah, other questions? I'm curious about the bell. Yes. Is it tuned to a specific frequency, and is there a reason for it? It's the frequency of your pineal gland, and it goes straight in and releases <laughs> the DMT drops that... No. <laughs> Uh, I have no idea. So I got this. Um, my teacher gave me this. I think it was made in Taiwan. Um, I don't know. I didn't even like the sound of it when he gave it to me because he had a smaller one that was made in Japan and it had like the nicest sound. And I wanted one. He gave me this and I rang it. I was like, oh, I don't like this one. So, you know. And now I use this one and everyone's like, oh, that's so pretty. I'm like, oh, really? So I've become used to it. Um, but no, it's just simply it's... I like that it, the tone holds for a while. It fits in my pocket. Simple. Yeah. It's a ghost. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Seth, I want to reflect on your your talk this morning, where you talked about how um, you shouldn't struggle, and and um, if you're you shouldn't be you shouldn't be trying to have a daily practice if it's such a struggle, and you're forcing yourself to do it because you're supposed to or because um, you have a goal to do it. Um, and the, the paradox, and um, and it may be that you you have so much karma going on that you need to work on your life before mm. you can sit effectively and and have a good practice. Um, so I see that as kind of a paradox. And I'm caught right in the middle sure. right now. Um, because, because having a regular meditation practice can give you the tools to make changes in your life. Right. Um, so you get my question? I'm I, kind of struggling with how I, to put it I on. do, I do. And I, I didn't mean to make it that black and white. Um, the point is that your mind is one. That you have your mind, and that mind sits in meditation, and then it leaves the meditation and goes into your daily life, 
and then it sits in meditation and leaves. So it's not like you have one mind that you, you know, turn on your mind hat in the meditation room and you sit all peacefully and then you take off your meditation hat and you put on your party hat and you go outside. Um, it's the same mind. So whatever happens out there is going to show up in here. But also the work that you do in here will start to influence out there. So they work together. Anytime you work on your mind, it's going to help everything. Um, my point was more that we tend to section off the mind and say there's like the meditation mind and the daily life mind and I can be heedless with my mind all day long and then I can sit down to meditate and I'll have a great meditation. And that's not the case. So you might also have to, you might need then to assign some willpower to, to maintain that practice. Not just when it feels good. So, practice because you want to practice. Practice because you want to practice. Yeah. And then there will be days or times where you need to give yourself a little bit of a boost. But it's because you know that this is what you want. Which is a very different energy than should. Yeah. Should is not helpful. Who says? Should. Why should? What does should mean? Yeah? Should is bullshit. It's nothing. It's just a, a weight that you put on your back. Yeah? Do it because you want to do it. I don't eat healthy because I should. I eat healthy because it feels good. It feels good to eat healthy. So then if there's something, like someone gives me like a donut or something, depending on the day, but someone gives me a donut, I'll most likely say, no, thank you. Not because I shouldn't eat it, but because I know how I feel when I eat stuff that's like highly processed and sugared. I don't feel good. So to keep myself feeling good, I say no to that thing. Yeah. And it's, that's more the place where it's coming from. Um, you know, routine is awesome. Structure is awesome. And... It's, again, just about what is your relationship to that? Why are you doing it? What is it about? You know, is it coming from your heart? Is it an inspired, passionate place? Or is it a, an obligation and a duty that makes you heavy and miserable? Because waking up at five in the morning in the monastery and meditating, that was miserable. And I didn't have a single good meditation for years. Didn't do anything for me. Yeah, because I was just, it was just dragging me through the dirt. You know, it wasn't from my own side. So even when I sat there, my mind wasn't engaging in the meditation. It was resisting. It didn't even want to be there. Yeah. My so meditations... Huh? So what made you stay? Well, the monastery was a lot more than just the morning meditation. Yeah. Meditation is a, a familiarization process with peace, and it's a way to start training your mind and seeing what are the different factors and stressors and kind of perceptions and mechanics in the mind. But also in our daily life, we had a teacher who very much was a Zen master and would kind of point out different emotional things, different habitual energies, um, blind spots, I guess you could say, that each of us has our blind spots. And he would point out our blind spots to us. So he really focused more on the daily life training of the mind versus the meditation, which was good for structure and complementary stuff. But the daily life, keeping the mind in check, was our biggest practice. And then I went on a, a retreat where it was meditation. 
but it wasn't like a monastery where we just sat there meditating every day and that was it. It was very much like having to work, be a part of the community, serve, yeah, and then reflect on what's coming up as our mind is rubbing against other people's minds. Because, you know, when I've sat alone in my bedroom praying for world peace, I was in bliss. And everybody was my best friend. And I came out of my bedroom and within like two seconds of somebody talking to me, I was angry again. <laughs> you know, and it's like, so what is this about? Like, so meditation, you know, does practice only work if I'm in a vacuum? If I'm alone in a cave, then I'm happy. But if I'm in the world, I'm miserable. Then what's the point? That's not freedom. That's dependency. You know, freedom is in all situations, right? So the daily life is, again, it's the, the mind is the mind. In the meditation or in the daily life, all, all relevant, all, you know, available to, to get understandings from and tools. question about women in Buddhism. Okay. If I walked into a Buddhist monastery, would I be welcome? Or how, how, do, how, do, how does Buddhism view women and what, what are women's role in that practice, in that way of life? So in Buddhist communities, um, there's usually monasteries and then nunneries. So Men and monks and nuns tend to be separated for, as you could imagine, various reasons. Um, and then that all depends on the community. Because if it's a community of monks and then a woman walks in, like the monks might be like, okay, like I'm trying to like not, you know. Whereas if you walk into a community of nuns, you'd be like, oh, come on in. Potentially, right? That's just a, a crazy kind of. Because also our monastery had monks and nuns together and it was fine. Um, so it's not, you know, different, different sects of Buddhism or different parts of Buddhism have like appropriated cultural patriarch, you know, patriarchy in different ways. Um, and I think that the ordained feel that more because if you go to, you know, Tibet or something, they like worship the monks. And there's nuns, but they're, they're not given that same kind of esteem, even if they're really developed, you know? So there's a lot of communities that, right, like the men and the women are just kind of there kind of feeling. But that's kind of like a worldwide cultural kind of problem. And, um, you know, the Buddha had monks and nuns. He was very kind of revolutionary at the time in terms of like letting everyone in. And, you know, there's um, some Buddhist texts there's the Teragata and the Terigata, and there are the enlightened sayings of you know, those who have reached enlightenment. And the Teragata is monks, and the Terigata is the nuns. So you know, there's records of nuns reaching enlightenment since the very beginning of the whole time as well. So it's not like only men can do this or something. It's, it's an equal path for both people to practice. Um, I'm wondering about meditation in a focused way with some kind of an intention or a purpose. For example, you mentioned earlier, you know, the example of praying for peace. Um, if in your life you recognized that there was some 
kind of issue that you wanted to just seek wisdom for or an answer to, is that counterproductive to what meditation is about? I mean, I'm thinking meditation is letting go mm. and mm. letting, being filled with whatever you need without putting a specific intention out there, sure. but I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, so while I was on retreat, this came up pretty clearly for me, and it's that um, there's some things that we can just let go of, right? Like we were meditating and the train went by, and you could just kind of like let go of that, like, okay, it's gone. But there's some things maybe, yeah, you have a problem at home right now, and that came up, and you're saying, well, just let it go, and the problem's like, well, I'm going to still be there. So. It again is that question of what do you want? So in certain moments, a problem or something will come up and I will just kind of say thank you for coming and you know, I see this is something that still wants to be dealt with, but now is not the time, you know, I'll just release it. And then there's times where something will come up and I'll be like, okay, look, I'm sitting here for the next half an hour in silence with all these people, like I'm not gonna go anywhere. Something will come up and I go, okay, let's, let's do it. Like show me, Show me what you've got. Let me feel you. Let me see you. Let me hear the story you want to tell. And let me try to feel what is the solution to this. So, you know, there are things that we need to work through. Um, we need to kind of straighten out the mind, so to say. And if there's situations that are, that are stuck, you know, that we're stuck in and they're kind of affecting us, we do have to deal with them. Um, and it's kind of that it's like a give and take play, you know, because it's also one of those things where um, if I just told you to sit in a room for a day and didn't give you any instructions, you might just ruminate on all of that stuff, but not necessarily find any solutions, right? The, the mind loves just thinking around in circles. So maybe for instance it would have made more sense for you to put things down and just rest and recover your mind i've noticed sometimes just putting down a problem and just resting and then coming back to it i realize it's not that big of a problem anymore right or the problem's even gone away by itself just because i gave time so there are some things that actually the best thing you can do right now is just leave it alone just breathe and separate yourself from it and then there's other things that that come up and they say, hey, every time I try to come up, you've been pushing me away for the last two months. You know, now you're sitting here quietly. Deal with me now because I want to be done. You know, it's like a thorn in your foot. Yeah. If you're walking with a thorn in your foot, you can relax and just enjoy the walking. But eventually it's like, why don't I just stop and take out that thorn and then I can keep going. So there's no kind of recipe or right answer. It's again more that you just have to feel into what you want, what's going to work, what's not what is just the ceaseless thinking and yeah movement of the mind around things that it's not happy with and what are the actual things that you do need to spend some solid time looking at and dealing with and um, and still I would potentially say then have a time where you say I'm gonna now take an hour and sit down with like a notebook and myself and think about this problem or call a friend like this is now my hour to look at and deal with this problem. And then I'm going to have something like a half an hour of meditation where I'm not going to deal with that, you know. So you can even clearly have times for yourself. And again, time is the big problem these days, right? Everyone feels like they have no time. So it's like to take time just to look at an issue, it's like 
it sounds great in this room, but you leave this room and it's crazy, too busy. Yeah, I have time to meditate or to think, but not both, right? Um, so yeah, that's right. So that's your journey, right? So to say, to look at how to deal with stuff, in which way, when. Um, and yes, sometimes I'll be meditating and then solutions to things will just pop up all by themselves. Like a lot of great inventions happen like on the toilet and stuff, right, they say? Because like the people aren't thinking anymore and then boom, solutions just come because your mind relaxes. Yeah, so there's that too. Last couple questions. Maybe one more. So, oh, sorry. Well, two more. Yeah. No, I just have a question. You go ahead, Um How old is the Dalai Lama? You're going to have to Google that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. He just turned eight. Uh, is there someone um, that is next? <laughs> well, yeah, that's a little bit of a longer story, but, um, you know, in the Tibetan traditions, there's reincarnated lamas, and it's, the titles are passed down. So when the Dalai Lama passes away, um, if he is to come back and be another Dalai Lama, so to say, because he's talked about maybe just disbanding the whole thing, but he'll give, you know, traditionally, before one of these monks passes, they'll tell one of their closest disciples, you know, go to the West and there's a family here and this is the name of the father and the mother and all of this. He'll kind of tell them where to look and then he'll pass away and then they'll go there to look or they'll have a dream or whatever, you know, however it happens and they'll go and then there will be the father and the mother with this name who has a kid that's, you know, just was born. and So they kind of... Um, it's that they're advanced enough that they can actually consciously send the consciousness um, to the next place. So they can consciously send the mind consciousness to the next place. And then there's certain tests that they do, right? That they bring this child back to the Dalai Lama's bedroom and they're like, so, like, you know, where is your thing? You know? <laughs> and, you know, which one of these is really yours? You know? um, so they do like these rigorous tests to check and see. Um, there's a cool movie called Kundun. You can watch it. It's... Um, I think it's like, I don't know if it's like Martin Scorsese directed it even, but it's about this Dalai Lama and it has a little bit of the story of how he was found in that process and it's a pretty cool, just if you watch it and think that it's actually real, it's like, wow, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. so. Don't the Chinese have their own Dalai Lama, next Dalai Lama? Uh, they're gonna, they're gonna try, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you had one last well, yeah. I was gonna pick up on what Michelle said. You talked about working on something, deciding not to work on it, decide to work on it. Yeah. In deciding to work on it, know how to do that. Is part of that, I'm not resisting this thing, I'm not trying to solve it because I reject it, but I'm embracing it and accepting it as a way of working on it. Can you talk about that before? Yeah, sure. So, Sometimes the biggest problem, sometimes something is a problem simply because we don't want it. And it can be that simple, right? So sometimes just by accepting and embracing a situation, a, a pain in the leg, the cold, whatever it is, 
sometimes the only problem is that we want something to be another way. So sometimes just by accepting and really accepting, okay, this is how it is, that sometimes is it. That sometimes resolves the whole issue. Um, for times that it's not that clear cut and there is something that needs to be worked on and dealt with, at least welcoming it in starts to soften the edges a little bit, right? Starts to just, you start to slowly, I think there's like a Pema Chodron book called The Places That Scare You, right? And it's like just slowly starting to make contact with those things you don't want to look at, the things you don't want to feel, but just slowly starting to, to move towards them, to realize that there's no enemies inside. You know, inside, there, it's only allies. So it's how can I listen and use the wisdom of my body and my mind and my emotions to understand and to grow and to learn and to integrate versus kind of compartmentalize and push away and judge and beat down and things like this. Um, so when I meditate, there's nothing that I don't welcome. Yeah, and even if it's ridiculous, I'll welcome it, I'll just laugh at it. I was saying to a, a group the other day, um, when I was meditating once on retreat, you know, and I was alone in the room for three months um, during this one retreat, so I had a lot of time just to like think about stuff. Um, I remembered something about a, a, a foiled terrorist plot, um, and I forget where it was, like, like the details, but I remember I thought about it and I go, you know, that's stupid. If I was gonna do that, <laughs> I'd probably poison a water supply. Oh yeah, you know, I know a good water supply in Andover. <laughs> I could poison that really easily. And I, would, and I could probably find, you know, poisons or something here. And, then, and I kind of made this whole plan. And then after a good like 10 minutes, probably not, it felt like 10 minutes, it's probably, you know, three minutes. But I just kind of stopped and I was like, Seth, what are you doing? Like, why are you thinking about how to poison a water supply and be a better terrorist than those other people, <laughs> you know? And I just laughed, because it was just, the mind just goes off in its own directions. And it's stupid, and it's silly, and it has no you know, moral compass or anything. Uh, don't take yourself too seriously. Don't believe everything you think. Yeah, just whatever, just let that stuff go. Um, there's even times where I'll be sitting with somebody, and they're talking, and I'll think like, oh, this, you know, this person's really boring or really stupid or you know, whatever thought will come up. And I'll look at that thought and I'll say, I don't, I don't believe that. I think this person's great. You know? And I really practically practice not believing my thoughts sometimes. If it comes up and I'm like, this thought just seems like ugly and judgmental. And it's actually not who I am or who I want to be or what I even really believe. You know, it's like your thoughts are just your opinion. So that comes up, and I'm like, oh, well, that's just your opinion, you know? <laughs> yeah, but really, you know? We, it, and that's, that's part of this whole process. It's like we slowly reclaim control over our mind, over our perception, over what's going on, right? We're not just victims of this kind of incessant habitual cycle that's been passed down from our parents and society and whatever. You know, we start to reclaim that in our own space. Yeah, you become the master of your mind, right?